Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, I'm a part of the generation that Red Bull was marketed at. I was that age. like Right. So you, you know. just saw dudes in wingsuits and were like, yeah, let's, let's, let's ride. Yes. But, I mean, what's wrong with cocaine? <laughs> right? I mean, that's how comics usually get yeah. over that. Huh? I'm also old enough to be the Red Bull generation, but young enough to have watched all those movies about how cocaine didn't work out very well. <laughs> so, like, I'm, yeah. I'm old enough to watch all of Goodfellas uh, <laughs> to right. get all the way to the end and be like, huh, so you mean it can work out poorly? Yeah. On this show, we tend toward that classic depressant, alcohol. But this week is all about artificial stimulants, specifically Japanese energy drinks. I got a bunch of them from a convenience store in North Tokyo and brought them to Berkeley, California for W. Kamau Bell to try just a couple days after last month's elections. I brought them because I know Kamau lives on Red Bull and I wanted to broaden his tweaker palette a little. But I also brought him because I'm such a big fan of his work that all I really want to do is get him jacked up enough so he can go out and do some more of it. W. Kamau Bell is the multi-Emmy award-winning host and executive producer of United Shades of America on CNN. He's a stand-up comic, a veteran podcaster, and thoughtful as hell about how and why to make television. We talked about all of that, rapidly, with our hearts pounding and blood pressure spiking. I'm Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Can I have one of those waters? Is that a special water for later in the podcast? This is or? not a special water. Okay, this yeah. is just to stay alive. I know, I know there's special things in there, but I just want to make sure <laughs> that it's the water part of it. You can see the menace rising off yeah. of this, this box here. for real. It is for real. The Office Snacks mini water bottles is probably a good idea because I have on the table in front of us a box of Japanese energy drinks <laughs> that's got enough yaba in it to kill a water buffalo. Right. Um, and we're going to do a little tasting. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. There's something that feels right. We're two days after the midterm election, <laughs> which was like, it felt like the perfect split decision to let you know that like we have many 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 more rounds of this oh shit. yeah yeah it's, it's like the it's like the first ali fraser fight like oh we're gonna have to do this again <laughs> this is not really decided <laughs> no sir this is definitely going to be a trilogy uh, right so it seems like a perfect time to have like just a bunch of different kinds of struggle juice you know yeah, yeah. all right so here's what we got oh wow i got back from japan two days ago and I think I had sensed it in previous trips, but, you know, we were out there filming and had an intense schedule, and you realize at 4.30 in the morning in the convenience stores that Japan is actually a land of tweakers. <laughs> I mean, it's the amount and variety of uh, energy drink solutions that they have. It's Jiro, Jiro-level dedication to the art of 
Taurine. Jiro Dreams of Sushi, is that what that reference is to? <laughs> that is, that oh, is good. I, I, I love that film. Nicely done. Jiro Dreams of uh, wow. methamphetamines. Wow. Did you know I'm an energy drinker? This is what I know about you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so why why is that? Like, What's your context for that? It started out, <laughs> it's like now where it's an intervention. It started out <laughs> as a way to like, uh, like I would go on stage to do stand-up and a lot of times before I do stand, this, is, this has been true for years. This happens to a lot of comedians. You get sleepy before you do, like get on stage. Sometimes, like your, it's like your body's starting to like shut your energy levels down to prepare you to go on stage. And so it's like you'll see a lot of comics yawning, especially before big shows. Or yeah. Like, and so I think it started out as a way to like give me a jolt, <laughs> like sort of like all right, let's go do this. You know, recognizing I was getting sleepy, and also recognizing that when I'm tired, I my I sometimes it's happening right now. Words don't come to me as quickly. Again, and also, I'm a part of the generation that Red Bull was marketed at. I was that age. like Right. So you, you know. just saw dudes in wingsuits and were like, yeah, let's, let's, let's ride. Yes. But, I mean, what's wrong with cocaine? <laughs> right? I mean, that's how comics usually get yeah. over that. Hump. I'm also old enough to be the Red Bull generation, but young enough to have watched all those movies about how cocaine didn't work out very well. <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm old enough to watch all of Goodfellas <laughs> to, uh, right. to get all the way to the end and be like, huh, so you mean... It can work out poorly, yeah. Great. Well, I look forward to raising a generation that's going to be terrified of energy drinks, yeah, having seen the chaos that it can wreak uh, on so somebody. I'm, so my current energy drink of choice is sugar-free Red Bull. Oh, good. Because <laughs> this is going to kick the shit out of that. And I have to tell you, at this point, it's I could drink a sugar-free Red Bull and go right to sleep. That's how I know it's a problem. It's a maintenance high. It's a maintenance high. I'm chasing the Red Bull dragon, the energy dragon. <laughs> and I'm always look at, looking out for, like, other sources of, like, like you know, oh, they have some new these coffee things that are, the, like, the, like, they have the, the five-hour energy. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, yeah. I've tried that, and that feels, that feels like it might be cocaine. Right. Yeah, it could be. It's like that early version of yeah. uh, Coca Cola. But what, I mean, did you ever get into like um, Four Loco or Sparks Habit? <laughs> First of all, Four, Four Loco, I did not get into. But I did. I did sort of investigate the Sparks thing, and uh, I, <laughs> clinically, I, clinically, you know, I tried Rockstar and Monster. But I think there's something about Red Bull that just felt. Uh, like it didn't want to kill me in the way that some of those other drinks felt like they wanted to. Right. Like, and so that's, I was I'm always on the lookout for like, is there some sort of like a uh, healthy energy drink? <laughs> and that's not a thing that those aren't things that come together. Are no. There? Well, I have to say there there are a couple options here that might fall in into that. We have five options. And okay. Let's, let's just uh, let's crack one. Yeah. Let's just run briefly through them. We've got like a very high end motherfucker here. This Junker Royal Cote. This is this is a mid level. It's about a twenty dollar bottle, uh, but but they go up to like eighty bucks. It's in a box like a perfume. Yeah, yeah. Put some of that under your ear, and uh, <laughs> your pheromones will yeah. uh, attract all kinds of trouble. Sato Pharmaceutical is the company. It's a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, all yeah. Right. This is all this is all pharmaceutical level grade. So that's that's the super high end. Okay. Uh, we've got this little guy next to him, which is Min Min Daha, which basically means like. Sleepy, sleepy breakthrough. <laughs> so I feel like I've said that sometimes. Sleepy, sleepy breakthrough. <laughs> this is like you. You need to. It tells you exactly where you're at and where you're going. It's sort of set up to look like something authentic that you would get at some sort of like medicine shop, not at a hospital, but like some sort of herb shop, right? Yeah. And with this high end stuff, the the Junker Royal Cote. That is like they'll put ginseng in it. They got a little bit, a little bit of that sheen of like Asian medicine, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though what they're really talking about is like a drug delivery system, just like any other. Yeah. The one next to that, I would say, I mean, must be the most 
family friendly because it comes in a little squeeze pack like a gogurt. Yeah, this is the kind of thing my that my daughters eat out of regularly when we don't make breakfast. <laughs> like this, well, this, now I we can't keep these in my house. <laughs> this would be bad. Energy ten. Uh, a special jelly drink designed to supply carbohydrates equivalent to one rice ball. <laughs> Obviously, in Japan, that's a common measurement. Right, it's a unit of measurement. Oh, one rice ball. The jelly drink provides you with the energy to stay active every day. Oh, I like that. Not all day, every day. Right. This is like, again, a maintenance high. The other, like, super potent bottle we have here is the uh, Lipovitan D Super. This comes in 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, I think, for session drinking. It feels like 2,000 is uh, probably our max limit. Okay. Uh, this is a super popular one. You can't see it because it's brown glass, but it's got some yellow tinge to the liquid. It's, oh. The Red Bull's got yellow. That's, a, that's I'm used to that. Yeah. So we This can... feels very corner store to me, like what you would get, like, you know, like not, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. not high end. Like when you fill up your gas, you also get one of these. That's right. A little, little, little for your tank. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one is more of a soft drink situation, right? This Peaker is... Bitter Energy. Bitter. Peaker <laughs> rhymes with tweaker. <laughs> rhymes with tweaker. It's just, I don't know. And it's got a chart on the back. You see that chart? Like okay. a chart, you know, yeah, of some kind. It says drinking style above it. And then there's like a graph, like with a up axis and a cross axis. And then there's like a, a red line that pretty much goes like almost not 90 degree, but like <laughs> right. 70 degree angle up, 75 degree angle up. Mm. And then just sort of like goes straight across, but sort of vibrates a little up and down, but never goes that far down. And there's a bird at the end of it. Like I think we're the bird. We're the bird. So it's like this will quickly get you a lot of energy. And then you just sort of maintain it for a while. And you'll feel some ups and downs, but you'll be flying. <laughs> and the, and the, the, the name above the chart just says drinking style. Drinking style, yeah. <laughs> so is it like you chug it and then you'll be, fu- you'll be flying? I think so. But I like that they're honest enough to not give us a straight line on top. Right? No, 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 it's no. It's no, like no. you're really, you're going to have some hard times up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's never going to drop you all the way back to the bottom. <laughs> right. This one feels very much like... Some company was like, we got to get into the energy drink thing. Like some sort of like company that wasn't doing this. I think that's right because this is a Suntory product. So okay. Suntory, they make the whiskeys, you know. Yeah. Like, that was the one that Bill Murray was shilling for and Laos in translation, uh. I think. So <laughs> this feels like a corporate decision. I'm holding a corporate, I'm holding a, we got it. We have to vary our drink market decision in my hand. Where do you want to start this? Does it go up in, uh, in potency or should we, or is it just anywhere? They all have their own different okay. thing. Should we start with the high end? Yeah. I just yeah, feel yeah. like that's the one I wouldn't buy. Like the rest of these I might actually in the right situation. Yeah. But a twenty dollar energy drink, I'm not I'm not rolling like that yet. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, this is complicated packaging too. And it's got instructions in it. Oops. <laughs> it blows up. <laughs> So it's basically just nitroglycerin. I mean, uh, it's got instructions in it. Oh, I don't think this is. I don't think this is a place we want to go down. Uh, it's got, with pictures of of like of plants on the back. There's kids. Oh, is it with like a big line crossover? Dry, well, it's in a separate section that looks like maybe a warning section. Oh shit! These are like very beautiful little illustrations of yeah ginseng and healthcare uh, innovation. Okay, all right. Oh, it's very very aromatic. Yeah, it, it tastes. This is straight chemicals. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that, that, that aftertaste is not. Oh, that's how you know it's medicine. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a very medicine-y. At first, it's like, it's a little sweet. Oh, no. it's <laughs> That aftertaste is, yeah, it tastes very chemical, medicine-y. Like, it reminds me of the stuff that they make you drink before you get, like, a, like a, 
like when they look inside you with the camera, there's the stuff that you have to drink. Oh, nice. <laughs> is this like a barium enema? Yeah, like, that yeah exactly. This, it tastes like <laughs> stuff that you would drink. And they're like, now, lay back, relax. We're uh, going to check. We're going to take a look around. We're at the Northgate studio at the Berkeley School of Journalism. And I guess we should ask, like, is there a bathroom in the studio? Because <laughs> I think we just took down a barium enema. <laughs> this, is, this is a problem with not speaking Japanese. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, ooh. All right. I'm going to take a little more. Just because I, I, I definitely feel the chemical. I'm trying to feel the, the, the lift. <laughs> I like your style. You're, you're like, I'm going to keep investigating this bottle. Today. Okay. All right. It's there. It's All right. Feeling a little clearer. All right. Good good job, Junker. <laughs> yeah. Next time, the $80 bottle. We don't know if this is a single serving, though, right? Yeah. These are not meant to be, like, hung on and, like, sipped. Take these down and keep it moving. And these are shooters. That... For me, this is, like... Oh, so now we're drinking the, the the one that looks like it's pretending to be made in like a, a medicine, sh- an herb shop. Like a vanilla fl- smell? No, no, it, it ain't what that. Sleepy, sleepy breakthrough, man. You got to taste it. Oh, what? It, um, <laughs> oh, so it's like a cough, like a mocha? Yes. Like a chemical mocha. <laughs> like a oh, com- delicious. Like a mocha. Oh, like a chimoka. <laughs> this is, wow. Yeah, it just... This is what I like about Red Bull. It's not, it only tastes like Red Bull. Right. It's not trying to be flavored like cherry. I mean, now they're doing that, but I like old school Red Bull. Yeah. It just, this is trying to pretend like it's something that it's not. Right. In Japan, they've got these vending machines with like hot or cold boss coffee, yeah. which is a very chemical coffee experience. Yeah. This is trying to be that with, with like an extra. Yeah. So it's like cold chemical mocha. <laughs> I, th- I think you got a new marketing yeah, exactly. campaign, it's, which is also my name on my SoundCloud mixtapes. Chemical <laughs> Mocha is my is my mixtape rapper name. I like the ones that just taste like chemicals because it's like let's just get this medicine down. All right, is it time for Peaker? Okay, Peaker. Okay, yeah, this is a familiar smell, uh, like a cola. This might just be Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> they might so, just, <laughs> do they respect copyrights over there? Yes, yes. This is a oh man! This has got that like classic. It's like a little, little more cola-y. It's like Red Bull with a little bit of Coca Cola in it. Uh huh. There's a there's a corporate uh, yeah. This is efficiency behind it. Like, yeah, this is like we're just we're, we're just trying to we're trying to move product. Right. It may not be that good. It may not be as much energy as the other one, but we're trying to move product. Unlike Sleepy Sleepy Breakthrough, they might have actually had someone taste it before they put it to market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they actually had. Now this is a major company. They had this went through many different iterations and tests. And they had talked, yeah, Sleepy Sleepy Breakthrough was like, make it taste like coffee. Does it taste like coffee? We don't have time. <laughs> this stuff, we're sleepy, man. We've got to break through. <laughs> and it says bitter energy. It's not bitter at all. Yeah, this one, I. I this is session energy. I, I could sip on that one. I'll take a case of that, Suntory. <laughs> Done. So now this is corner shop energy, which is what I was calling this one before. That's right. This is the Lipo, Lipo Vitan D Super. Which I I'm not holding out a lot of good taste notes. Once again, the word pharmaceutical comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, this tastes. This smells a little bit like that five hour energy thing. Uh, oh, ah, come on, man! <laughs> Just because it's sweet doesn't mean it tastes good. <laughs> oh man! I'm ah. Mm. Although, you know, one thing that it does have in common with many thins and other, like, jerry-rigged uh, amphetamine solutions is it, it does, and it must be the sugar, but it gives you a little bit of that tooth-grinding mm-hmm. feeling, you know? <laughs> like, so you're like, actually, like, like, it's like it's 4.30 a.m. in the club, and you're just, you're just kicking in, you're peeking. These <laughs> <laughs> teeth are feeling chalky. This tastes yeah. like bath soap. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> when you smell bath soap, what yeah. you would go, if I drink that, it tastes like, this is like what I think, like, 
kids' bubble bath tastes like. Yeah, that that does raise the how do you know questions. But yeah, well, you know, I got right. kids. It tastes sm- like the smell. Yeah, no, it's really like mm. that is not my friend. Now, what if you put a little bit of that in your kids' bath? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm afraid of this last one. The right. energy. This if this was in. A refrigerator in my house. My four-year-old Juno would get it and assume it was hers, and she would take the whole thing down. And she's already somebody who's sort of already always operating on a like an energy principle. I mean, we're we're in Berkeley. This is the heartland of like every gummy bear has got weed in it. Like, <laughs> this must be a constant parenting a constant concern. Parent. <laughs> like, what's in? We have cookies. Uh, what's in those cookies? Uh, all right, energy all right. ten. Let's do it. Like one rice ball. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I did not. I am not a part of the tapioca ball revolution. Ugh. It says there on the thing, this jelly drink provides you with mm. the energy to stay active I just every don't day. like that. This, this is a bigger issue. I don't like that texture in my mouth. <laughs> I don't, no offense to Energy 10, but I just, that, that like, like that, that thick snot texture. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> man, you're really yucking my yum over here, man. <laughs> Sorry, man. I don't mean, I don't mean to do that. <laughs> it's just, uh, that's why I try to, when people are like, would you like a bubble drink? No, thank you. They're really, I'm good. But they, no, I'm good. I just try, I, I'm, you enjoy it, but that's not my. You know, mm. there's like a uh, a word for QQ. It's like this this texture beyond. It's like that tapioca ball mm-hmm. texture, which is actually something that people crave. It's like yeah. that mochi, like that fried mochi yeah, not texture. A, not a mochi. I mean, I'm, mochi's okay. But like not in my drink, not liquid and <laughs> I mean, cold. Right, that thing where you're like squeezing it. It, it out just of reminds a juice me of being pack. in Chicago in the middle of the winter, going <laughs> 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 and like just stuff going down your throat. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it just reminds me of waiting for the bus in Chicago, the Six Jeffrey. For those of you out there who know Chicago, oh man, and really, I was like, ugh, yeah. So mm-hmm. many cinematic like advertising possibilities <laughs> you're bringing up here. I have just lost a lot of endorsement possibilities. <laughs> I am certainly more energized than I was when we started talking. Like, I can feel the clarity of an energy drink in me right now. Slow the tape down from this point. <laughs> we'll just, we'll start to go on three-quarter time. Yeah. Um, all right, so you are an internationally renowned television personality <laughs> going to Japan to do your first major endorsement commercial deal. Mm-hmm. Which of these drinks uh, are you... Which, what, one am I go, which one am I rocking with? Yeah, what's your I mean, your if brand? I had to pick the one that I sort of enjoyed the most, I think I'm a, I am a corporate sellout and people know that about me. I think I'd go with Suntory. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> when I shoot United Shades of America for CNN and on CNN International, I drink Suntory. Before I talk to the Klan or Richard Spencer <laughs> or coal miners or uh, or Muslims, I drink Suntory. When when they go low, I get high. <laughs> when they go, oh, look at you. There we go. Peaker. Peaker. When they Bitter go energy. Low, when they go low, you get high. <laughs> uh, and Michelle Obama. Still won't call me. It's the right choice, not just because this is a session drink, this this peaker, but because Suntory has deep, deep pockets, and That's... they can have, they could afford you. All right, Suntory, let's uh, yeah. let's, let's let's clear the calendar. Look a brother up. All right. So now that we're properly juiced. Um, you and I, what we have in common is is Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, he was a fan of yours from the start, and you've written about that. Had you been watching his show before you started? I mean, you had had this great show on FX. Was he on your radar at that point? Yeah, actually, he was very much on my radar before that. When he went to CNN, I was like, a lot of people were fans. It was like, how's that going to work? 
And that was before I had a chance to do anything at CNN. He went there about a year or so before I had my meeting with CNN. And so I was like, Anthony Bourdain on CNN? Like, it's funny to have talked to him about it, and he knew that people had that idea. And even he had that idea of like, okay, we have to really go hard (laughs) when we get to CNN so my fans don't think I've softened up. The other night I was with my wife and one of her old roommates, Mike, who was in my roommate, and we were talking about how we would sit on the couch in their in their house that I was just hanging out in, watching Bourdain, yeah, and watching him on the Travel Channel, and just it was just one of the things that we all sort of did together. Not a plan, like somebody would turn it on, and then we'd all be sitting there watching it, yeah. And I have very specific memories of talking to Mike about like, man, it would be great to have a show like that. And this is before Totally Biased, so this is like 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. Oh shit! All right, yeah, that was before you were on television, way before, way before I even had. Like, I didn't have anything going on to be like, once this happens, I'll get it. Like, there was just, I was just a comic <laughs> who, who was like, at that point, like, the system can't handle my truth bombs. <laughs> like, I didn't have a, an agent, a manager, you know, nothing that was like, oh, I should call my manager and see if we can set up some meetings with 0.0. Like, there was no, right. I didn't know what 0.0 was. You were just a man yawning backstage with some sugar-free Red Exactly. Bowl. That's exactly what I was, you know, thinking that this next seven-minute set I do at the Punchline in San Francisco is going to be the one that puts me over the top into fame and fortune. So to say I would like to have a show like that, I might as well have been saying I would like to sprout wings and fly like they do in the Red Bull commercial. Like, there was no <laughs> sense of reality about, like, oh, let me put a plan together. Yeah. All right. But Totally Biased was a very different format of a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what's sort of fascinating and, and frankly gives, uh, you know, a lot of hope to us hopeless out there after Tony's show is winding down. The fucking last episode is is coming up on Sunday. But, like, who's out there that can do this sort of combination of travel and empathy, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, like, just one big truth bomb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but But that's the show that you started to make at CNN, which was much more kind of, like, getting out there yeah so how did that come about was that your idea was that amy and telus's was it a combination so it was really a combination so like if you think i'm sitting on my couch going i'd like to have a show where i travel around like that but i would focus it more on i said at the time i was thinking racism but just race and culture yeah you know not food that's like the thought i had then totally bias gets canceled now there's a lot of these shows. There have been a lot more of these shows. Yeah. Like uh, one person sort of take on the news of the week. At that point when I got my show, it was John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, and uh, Bill Maher. Right. But now it's like we've seen many shows come and go, but there's certainly like a Samanaj's show on yeah, yeah. Netflix now. So at the time I was like sort of this like, I'll try that. It got canceled. And then I was just like out there taking general meetings because at this point I did have an agent and manager so I could get I could get general meetings, which are the meetings you get when you're like don't have anything to pitch but you just want to meet people and see if they have some a job for you. Right. And so I had one at CNN. I had one with Jeff Zucker. I he, heard he runs shit over there. He runs shit over there. So like that's when I was like, Jeff Zucker wants to meet with me? And a lot of the meetings I was having was with news organizations or news websites, so, which was sort of funny to me that after Totally Biased, People thought, we need some humor in here. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I met with Jeff Zucker. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do a late night show. And I was like, great, because I'm not going to do a late night show. Like, we, we, <laughs> Who but, said anything about a late night show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I don't want to do another late night show. And so there was just sort of like, well, what can you do? And at that point, all three media had pitched them a show. And I keep telling Jimmy Fox, the guy who created the show, that I would stop telling the story. But this is a different situation. About a black comedian traveling around to white places in America. Okay, and it was going to be called it was called Black Man White America, <laughs> and he wants to bury that name. <laughs> he wants to like it now. Giving Jimmy Fox credit, he did also come up with the name United Shades of America, so oh. he knows how to come up with good names. 
but they didn't have talent attached. And so CNN said, maybe Kamau can do this. They had sold, I guess, the pilot to CNN. So I called Jim. We and Jimmy talked. And I was like, and I said to CNN at the meeting, which I'm, there's a few moments in my life of my career I'm proud of. In the meeting at CNN, needing a job, living in New York, like going through the talk show money hourly because it was so expensive. Yeah, yeah. Because we had moved into an apartment that a talk show host host had. And now it was <laughs> and then you an unemployed black show. guy. Yes. But I had the courage to go, I wouldn't do a show where I just travel around to white places. I'd want to go to lots of different places. Yeah. And when I really should have said, yeah, whatever you want. Right, right. Uh, and so they all went like, oh, yeah, that's what I... And then Jimmy changed the name to United Shades of America. Uh, this will be the last time I tell this story. Hopefully, Jimmy. Sorry, you have to hear this again. <laughs> and we then started to figure out what the first episode would be. And Tony was always in my mind about that. I mean, they had, at that point, they had Tony, Lisa Ling, Morgan Spurlock, and Mike Rowe. And I was like, so we have to do something none of those shows could do or would do in the same way if we're going to do our pilot. I mean, not to get super reductive about it, but there is one difference between you and them <laughs> that is the immediate difference. Yeah. They're not comedians. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> but yeah, and I think we had to do, we had to go, you know, go big or go home. But I also wanted to make sure that it didn't look like we were just doing a version of Tony's show or a version of Lisa, like just their show with a different host. You know what I mean? That's such death, too, because yeah. nobody wants it. Nobody needs it. We've seen people calling out for it in different ways. Yeah. You know, since Tony died and we're like, oh, that sounds terrible. Like, you can't just throw a pair of cargo pants at some <laughs> dude and say, up next. And a CBGB's T-shirt. <laughs> it's funny to me how many people on Twitter, especially immediately after he died, and especially after the episode aired of me and him in Kenya, have said, I hope you get his show. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I already have a show. <laughs> I don't know how that would work for me to like, it's not like his show's The Tonight Show. Right. Where somebody's got to host Parts Unknown with Andy. His name is in the title. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, what we need to do and what Tony would want us to do is find other people to do shows that are the show they want to do. Right. You know, you can still have people travel around the world, but doing it for different reasons than just like wanting to do what he was doing. So you don't have any announcement about Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, <laughs> no, with, with W. W. Kamau Bell? Bell. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm taking over the show. Yeah. I just thought it was so funny because I'm like, you know I have a show, right? Like, <laughs> Also, that doesn't help CNN to move me to his show. Right. And then have get, a, like, you get know. Get rid of yours. <laughs> like, yeah. That's great. Also, um, my show, we're doing okay. I mean, I, we have, we're still growing. We're only four seasons. We're in the middle yeah. of filming a four season. But I want to grow this show. Yeah. And I loved working on that a lot of times my recent experiences in show business, they're so incredible that I feel like it's like if this was a class, I would have paid for it. Yeah, yeah. If Tony had said, do you want to just come watch us film in Kenya, I probably would have considered it. You right, know what I mean? I'd right. oh, That's probably a good idea. You know what I mean? So immediately when we came back from Kenya, I called like Jimmy Fox was like, we need to change lots of things. I saw some things out there. You know, like I've learned some things. and Just about the way you shoot. Just, and the, way, the, yeah. just the way we shoot. More the way we handle the shoots. Yeah. It's very clear from being with Tony's crew that they worked together a long time. Yeah. And so everybody had the freedom to do their job without somebody standing over their shoulder and saying, don't do that. And also everybody had the freedom to, to sort of speak their minds and everybody was treated like an adult. Nobody was treated like the dad or the, you know. Like, right. Like, and Morgan Fallon was out there. And oh, he yeah. clearly came up to the show as a shooter and is now directing and did it, producing that show. But it didn't look like the other people on the show were like, man, he's telling me what to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody's like, no, we have a job to do. We've done it before. We all want to do the best version of our job, and we also all want to like keep it moving and be treated like adults. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mo's a killer man, and that is the thing that I think people also didn't recognize. Tony had made that same show for sixteen years. Mm -hmm. Many of the same people 
Mo was like relatively new and he's been there for a decade. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. But and then also Tony in that way that is like, don't eat fish on Mondays. Like that was his whole vibe when it came to filming too. It was like he had rules. Like he had a rule book, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like micromanaging rule. There were like three of them. Yeah. No entry shots. Yeah. No redos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, like. Yeah. So basic. But set up so that he could put his energy in the right place. You know, we do entry shots on United Shades. And it is a thing where you're like, wait, we're done? Oh, I got to go outside and walk. Like, you know, like, yeah. It is. But I want to just, okay, I'll go outside and walk. Oh, wait, you're going to leave the mic on me? So if I have some things to say, I should keep, so I can keep my brain working? Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, we're, so you don't get to, like, get in, give all your energy to the most important parts yeah. and step away and let other people handle the rest. Oh, man. So, I mean, you know, just lots of things. Even the fact that, like, I, I mean, one of the big things this season was like, I was like, hey, guys, Tony, they go get Tony when it's time to shoot the scene. I was being taken to the scene with the crew. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Don't do it. And so you get, so I would get to the scene like an hour, an hour and a half before anything was happening. And you're sitting in a car or you're some weird, or you're just in the restaurant, but in a back corner, you're just sort of, and your energy's just sort of like, do, 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 do. And it makes you feel like you've worked longer than you have. As yeah. opposed to like, Oh, I get to sleep in for another half hour. I get to go downstairs, have a cup of coffee. I get to check my emails and then get to the thing and only have a few minutes to wait before we start. Oh, you know? man, yeah. He knew his energy and knew what he could do and couldn't do. So there's things that he does that that he did that I wouldn't do. Like, I do like to connect with people, especially people who are brand, who've never done camera before, before we start shooting. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's more as the comic in me just to warm them up. Like, yeah. So you don't have to be like, um, uh, so I just want to get that part off camera. But you also have another gig there, too, because you are trying to convince them that you're not going to just take the shit. You're, yes. This is not some Borat <laughs> shit that's exactly. going on, right? That was a lot of the first season. It was like, I'm a comedian. I'm here to make fun out of this situation, not make fun of you. Uh-huh. You know, So I want to make you laugh. Because you'll be more relaxed. Right. Not, I'm not trying to make fun of you for the people at home, generally. I mean, every now and again, people, it falls into that. But generally, my thing is, like, let's, let's both have a good conversation, and part of a good conversation is laughter. Yeah. And I think also it was a testament to the crew for believing that Tony knew what was best for him in the show, even yeah. if you disagreed with him. Right. And I'm sure there was pushback, but sometimes, like, I remember there's a clip in the behind-the-scenes show where somebody's like, Tony's done. Like, clearly, clearly he hadn't, Tony hadn't asked the questions they wanted him to ask the producer, but he's like, he's, he's done. He called cut. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in the moment, that probably felt shitty to whoever was producing that. Right. But it's not like anybody watching the show was like, you know no. what I mean? Overall, was like, they're like, that was just good. Right. I enjoyed it. You know? Right. Yeah. Again, that ability. I think the thing that you have, it's going to make you such a great replacement host on Parts Unknown. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kidding everybody. Yeah, by uh, the end, we're going to have an official announcement. <laughs> uh, but it's like, it's an act of empathy. I mean, that yeah. whole thing is like you, I mean, not to get fuzzy about this shit, but like you, like you have to be vulnerable. Like you have to open yourself up. And like, I always think of Tony as just having been just cool as shit in that way that like, that's not... That's not where he lives, mm. but it's a part of him that he was able to just turn on, open himself up, and be open to other people, and it's this kind of incredible thing. It's a thing that you do incredibly well, but like that, that's a finite. You only got so much empathy yeah, in your day. I feel like it's like the, all those like sort of magic movies where I only have a little bit of magic in me, so I have to be careful. You know, like, <laughs> like the superheroes, like I can only change to the hero every now and again because then. I mean, the other thing about Tony, which was really funny, I think the last few years, he got back into smoking. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's uh, depending on your level of hilariousness. Uh, <laughs> but I was also an avid uh, co-smoker. And it, it, smoking is funny because in New York, you have to smoke on the sidewalk. 
And like, yeah. it just created this environment. And he was always like, I was amazed at how he handled it. Yeah. Smoke break meant somebody was going to come up to you and they wouldn't even know what he was. They just would know. I mean, a lot of people didn't know who he was specifically, but there were also people who were like, I don't know who you are, but I know you're on television. Uh-huh. Can I have your picture? Uh-huh. <laughs> Which yeah. has got to be the most obnoxious. Like, I think the worst one is, tell me who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, why would I do, why would I do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is in it for me? Who Who are you? You, you, you? Who are you? Oh, come on. Or like, where do I know you? I always say, where do I know you from? We went to high school together. No matter how old or young the person is. Just like <laughs> But I'm sure Tony had this too. You can feel it. You can feel like somebody off somewhere, mm. like sort of aiming their gaze your way. Oh no shit! No, it's like it's like a very like it's an aural. Thing. It's a it's a spidey sense thing. Like huh? Because people because if they gaze if they just sort of move across the room, that's one thing. But if their gaze doesn't change, it's sort of you just sort of look up and go, yep, there's yep. And then you can sort of prepare. It takes your energy. That's the big thing I'm saying. Is it, it's a it it takes the energy away from your day and from your and you only have a finite energy source you know so i'm sensing another commercial mm-hmm. <laughs> kamal sapped yes by the like, pressure of having yeah. a breakfast conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. And <sighs> random stranger and boom. that's why i drink peaker bitter energy <laughs> from suntory because i a, need three houses because <laughs> i'm a little bitter I'm a little, <laughs> this I'm woman a little just took my breakfast about all this energy uh. and you, but here's the thing about that like i can only tell that story because we have the greater context around it I can't go. I right. can't go. You know, <laughs> dear letter to the editor on Twitter. Here's a Twitter thread, everybody. I was trying to have breakfast with my friend. Oh you know? man! And so that's a part of it too, is that nobody really understands it except the people who are also doing this kind of work, right? You know? And I don't talk. I don't have know a lot of those people in my life, so I can't like you know. I always felt like when I had totally biased, I'm like, I wish there was some sort of AA meeting for late night talk show hosts. <laughs> Where you so I just, could just all be like, get together. John Stewart, I know I'm new here, but because <laughs> there was just all these things I was dealing with, I was like, only these people know what I'm talking right, about. Right, right. No, there's, I mean, there's there's a whole hierarchy of those problems. Like luxury problems, but it doesn't mean that they don't weigh on you because right. everybody, you know, and I'm, these problems are nowhere near as weighty as real problems. But there are things that, like, at some point you feel isolated from the world and not able to sort of share this stuff is what I is how yeah. I sort of am well, aware of it. You know, you talked about watching Tony before you started your show and all of this. The thing that where Bourdain, I, that episode where I really felt like he started to crib off of you and what you were trying to do was when he went down to West Virginia. Oh, that's so fu- Oh, wow. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, think about it. That's yeah. essentially what United Shades is about. Yeah. It's like getting yourself, I mean, I, I can't tell you about your show that's you all right better. it's good to hear from other people sometimes like oh, to is that me, what it's, about? Yeah. it's just like getting yourself out of that comfort zone mm-hmm. and like exploring some kind of microculture yeah. that has meaning here that was not something he did a, a bunch yeah it, he got totally hooked in west virginia and i wanted to ask you about that because again part of that empathy thing or something like you know he was uh even right after he got back he was so fired up yeah, he was like, it's so real, <laughs> you know, in a way that only maybe a New Yorker could really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that West Virginia, they're down there just living. <laughs> How is it for you going around in your own country and seeing like all of these different places? I mean, mostly you're not because you're not doing that original show title where it's just a black man in white yeah, America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still like you go to a lot of different places, some of which maybe have more in common with you, some of which less. Yeah. You know, we're about to go to Dallas and be around a lot of white people in Dallas. So we still, we still like to get around the white people. If for me, 
I'm aware, and we just talked about this yesterday, that if I'm not in the episode sort of regularly put in a position of being like, is this a good idea? Or right. how am I going to handle this? That it's probably not worth doing. Some conversations are just like, well, I need to sit down with this academic to hear about what's right. going on. Right. And some conversations are like, I'm going to hang out with, like, we're doing an episode this season where Alicia Garza, who's one of the co founders of Black Lives Matter, is yep. in a lot of it with me. And I'm like, I want to take Alicia Garza and show her some stuff. You know, so there is, right. like, and I, that's something I cribbed from Tony was like, get your, bring your friend, <laughs> you know? You know? Right. But then if there's not enough in the episode of me being like, yo, then it becomes sort of like too, like almost a kid's show. Yeah. We're going to learn about a thing. You right. know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, and, and I think that a kid's show that is not a good kid's show, I would say, too. Right. That, and for me, it's like, it has to be, there's got to be some sort of emotional, physical, psychological, political like intellectual jeopardy going through the thing for yeah. me to feel like it's actually worth doing because I don't think I'm a good enough host to just pull it off on my smile. You know what I mean? Right. Like, That's a feeling that you know you're about to do something right. That it's worth filming and putting yeah. on television. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I think that it's otherwise it's like, it's got to be something that but pushes me emotionally. So sometimes it can be like, yay, it's fun to put that on TV when you're like, I'm so excited about this thing or I'm so excited to talk to this person. But generally with the way this show works, it can't just be that. It's got to be like, here we go. So, yeah. you know, we're going to do one about evangelical megachurches. And, you know, that gives me like a, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to hear some things. <laughs> Clearly your comfort spot. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Know. But then there's also this thing where it's like we also do a lot of episodes, like, for example, the one we did on the south side of Chicago about gang violence, south and west side of Chicago, mostly south side, about gang violence, where I know those issues. I want those issues to get out. I want people to talk about those things. So it's not like I'm uncomfortable in like a, these ideas are challenging to me. But it's about, like, do the people I'm talking to care that I want to have them put their ideas out? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, are these people going to look at me like, oh, this dude from CNN is going to come down here and, uh, oh, you're going to tell us how, you're going to help us get this stuff out here? Right. So for me, there's, like, a cultural, ethnic, racial jeopardy in the Mm. fact of, like, if these black people see me as some sort of sellout from CNN, then it's not going to work. And so I have to figure out how how do I make sure that, that I don't come off that way or that I don't condes- don't feel like I'm even pretending to condescend to them or right. how do I make sure that like if they catch me out in something that's wrong I go yeah you're right that was fucked up <laughs> you know what I mean so for example in that in that episode and I'm, and I'm going on because I'm powered up by Red Bull let's get it energies we'd been in town for a couple days and this is our first episode of season two first shoot of season two south side of Chicago I'm from Chicago went to high school in Chicago we had shot a couple things that were good and then we were following this guy Kofi Adamola who was one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter in Chicago at the time and we were following him to go talk to him in a park about Black Lives Matter. As we got out of the car, there was cops arresting people. So he pulled out his camera to film the cops arresting these black people because yeah. he was like, this is what we do. It's called cop watching. So he gets out of the car, he pulls that out. And like, and then a group of black people who are in the neighborhood look at him, not trusting him, right. filming these black people. Like, who's this brother we don't know filming these people getting arrested? Right, right. What's he doing this for? And then I walked over to them and they were like, what's all this about? And so... Kamau, not host of the show, would have been like, let's get out of here. Kamau, host of the show, goes, let me go talk to those people. And like, fire the cameras up. Right. And, go, and I went right into the middle of the circle and was like, hey, no, he's just here. Black Lives Matter. And they're like, basically, they're like, fuck Black Lives Matter. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like that doesn't mean we're, we're actually living this life. This doesn't, we don't have that same feeling that yeah, yeah. every white person thinks we can. Right, that it's all like one team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so we talked, and he's like, and they're like, where are you from? And I was like, I was like, he was like, what, what is these cameras for? We don't trust these cameras. CNN, and they go, oh, no. And I was like, this is the show right now. <laughs> this is exactly where I am in my this life. Exactly. And I was like, this is definitely going to make the edit. There's no, unless we just double punched, right. there's no way this doesn't make the show. And, right. And 
that's the part about it that I like is when you have those moments where you're like, where you're in the middle of it going, oh yeah, this is definitely going to be in the show. Right. And that only happens when I'm feeling some sort of like emotion, some sort of jeopardy of some sort. Some like deep, yeah. Yeah. And there, I didn't feel unsafe. Some people, but I knew people watching would think I've, that I was unsafe. I just felt like this could turn sideways in any moment. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's interesting. I remember, did, I think it was that thing you did with Anne-Marie Cox, where it was an interview when you were talking about, I think it was with her, where you were talking about Obama's, you know, saying he's not the president of black America, but like, he knows that you know, that he knows <laughs> that you know that he is the president of black America. I mean, do you yeah. feel that way with your show? Are you like a, uh, are you a television host for black America in some, in some way that you, you have to speak to them? Yeah. Yeah, when I got totally biased, which was one of the producers of that, or the guy, the, the, the producer who made it happen was a man named Chris Rock. Uh, <laughs> it was like one of the producers. One of the producers, the guy who actually made it happen. And he said, you have to be aware that you, whether you like it or not, or whether you just have to deal with the fact, not even whether you like it or not, that because there's not a lot of black people on TV, that therefore you are, you are going to be looked at as someone who speaks for black people. Whether it's by black people or by white people looking at you, this black guy who's one of the few black people on TV. Right. And therefore, I took that as sometimes I got to know when I'm making a statement. This right. is a statement for black people. And then if it's not, I got to be real specific about this is a statement for me. Right. In a way that Bill Maher doesn't have to think about. Mm-hmm. He can just say whatever he wants to say. And none of it is held as like, why did white people are saying these things? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and, and you really get to see the results in the show that he makes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where there are times just like, dude, do you have any idea? For me, it's like I have to be aware. Well, and it's also like as a self-described blurred, yeah. you know, like yeah. comic book fan, you know, you have that, uh, there's that extra crucible of like uh, repping yourself as a person who would not fit into, uh, I mean, just... Yeah. There's there's like one way that black people are supposed to be, yeah, and that still that still seems true, right? Yeah, yeah. We had, I mean, our whole season two, that was like I said, one of the sub themes was that black is not a monolith because I think, and that's what I mean. Like I have to be very clear about when I'm speaking for myself, but it's also important that I do say things that are just clearly not with what the dominant thing is. Like if I have those thoughts, not that I'm trying to pretend. What could I say that would make me sound like I was not? That's <laughs> that's a Kanye West way of thinking. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, right. I think it's. You know, I wrote a story in my book about how I went to. It, I was in an airport before any of this was happening. I was just a guy in an airport, and a black guy sat down next to me in that way that he was like happy to see a black person. Yeah, like just like, hey, brother, how you doing? Like he was like clearly he didn't fly. I my impression that he didn't fly a lot. Wasn't used to airports. Saw a black dude that was around his age and sat down. Hey man, and I was had my headphones on. He's like, hey man, he started initiated conversation. He's like, what? He's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, ah, Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> And then all of a sudden he's like, airports are the weirdest place. You'll never believe what I saw at the airport. And just his energy, I knew that that was not going to be like, oh, man, I love Versus. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it wasn't like he was like, is that a hip-hop group? He literally was like, is that a hip-hop group? And I don't blame him for not knowing. But it was just like, I have to be aware that I hold that space. Right. And I have to be okay with claiming that space so I don't, so to help create the impression that, yes, black people are not a monolith. Because one thing, the funny thing about Tony, the great thing about Tony, was that his is that people of color noticed that as a white man he was very aware to not take up too much space yeah even though we all know tony takes up a lot of space yeah but he was very like he got out of the way when like the elderly grandmother from you know filipino grandmother had made a whole big dinner and he was very much sat there and let it and sort of like let it happen without sort of going, you know, I've had this food before, <laughs> you yeah. know, or whatever, somehow yep. white manning all over it. He was very good at, like, 
getting out of the way. It was almost his life's mission in some way. You know, we had dinner with him like a week before he died, and and uh, it was a dinner with a gay woman of color who wanted to do television, and and Tony was like, absolutely, yeah. here's the path. Let's let's tr- find a oh, way to make man. it happen." And that was just, I mean, that was his. That's what he wanted, in particular yeah. because he knew there was no way, there was no way in, in his show that it could ever, as much space as he would try to create, it's still like his voice was so dominant, his mm-hmm. like personality was just so strong that everything was going to funnel and filter through him. But I mean, it's now the great challenge uh, that he's not there. I mean, whatever the, the the structures are there, but we still live in a country where we're still discussing whether it's important that we don't all just have white men on television mm-hmm. and. In Congress, and, and yeah. I mean, I I wanted to ask you about that because I'm as disturbed and confused even by this this most recent result, you mm-hmm. know, in our election as anybody. I don't want to equate miles with with wisdom or something, but you have traveled intensely and immensely, and and each place that you're going within this country is you're trying to figure out what mm-hmm. what the scene is in this particular thing. So so explain my country to me. <laughs> Well, thank you for asking, because um, this is something I can totally do. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, like, recently, because I, you know, drop my kids off from school, and, like, people who work at the school or random parents or people who I don't know have relations with, like, what do you think about the midterms? I'm like, dude, <laughs> my tax form says comedian. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, and I think that, like, the benefit of travel is that I do see things and I do notice things, and so I think of a place like... Wisconsin. We just got back from Wisconsin filming an episode of Milwaukee. And Wisconsin, you know, is sort of important in the last election because... Oh, they threw that motherfucker out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they threw, and that's what I was going to say. They threw Scott Walker out. And they voted in another white man, but it's fine. But, like, a white man... Like, it's sort of like it was like, look, everybody, unions are... Like, forget... Almost like if we can just forget about polit- like political party, unions are good. Right. Healthcare is free and accessible. Healthcare is good. Like the teachers being paid a living wage and more is good. And if you just melt away political parties, all that stuff makes sense. Right. And so that's I, when I see that election, I'm like, and this is right after Trump had won Wisconsin a couple years ago, like that if you can just sort of get through the noise of political party, which is super hard, yeah. everybody's pulling for the same shit. Right. Like, Though it's funny, basically, I always say every episode of United States of America is basically about gentrification in one way or another. <laughs> like it's all oh, it's about people living in one place, feeling like that place is being changed, and how they deal with that. And that's true even in Appalachia. People living in Appalachia feel like it's being changed and how they deal with that. Right. You know, but we don't. But we, you know, we don't look at it that way. But it's all about people trying to hold on to their identity and their, and also trying to figure out what happens when their community changes and do they and are they considered to be a part of that community when it changes. Hmm. And so for me, it's just so not about Republican and Democrat. Right. Like when we went to Appalachia, I was nervous in Appalachia about what are they going to think? What are these white people going to think about me? It was right before the election. We saw Hillary for prison signs everywhere. Maybe not everywhere, but more than one. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, I don't that's be, enough. Yeah, one twice. We saw one twice in two town and out of town. You just kept circling black. Yeah, kept circling. It's still there. It's everywhere. <laughs> but when we got down to talk to people about, like, what do you do? What do you want to do? What happened? How do you feel? What is your hope for the future? Nobody brought up Hillary Clinton. Right. Nobody brought up Trump. Yep. And now maybe the people who would have didn't want to talk to me. But it is a feeling like there's enough people out there where if we could just cut through 
the noise of of this two party system, we could actually get people in office who who had our had our backs. And I think that was the sort of the excitement around Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum and mm. Beto O'Rourke is that these people are just talking about the issues. Yes, they are Democrats, but they're talking about the issue. But then you know, America doesn't have a level playing field for voting, so you know <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that <laughs> is America, also a thing. One of our one of our major exports is voter suppression <laughs> and McDonald's franchises. So. Done, done it well. Yeah. But... So it's like for me, that's the. That's the thing that's so sad about the election so far is that three people who clearly were like, let's talk about ideas. Yeah. And who you thought had a shot, they all just barely lost. And then you just go, yeah, I think the margin of error is voter suppression. (laughs) You know, so that's the big thing is we have to overcome the systems so that the people's voices can actually be heard. Yeah. The preconceptions are, they run thick. I mean, shit, we're in the Bay Area, man. This is, uh... Yeah, this ain't, it ain't, it ain't like here, you know, the Bay Area likes to think it's the most blah, blah, blah progressive, but it's like preconceived notions run thick here too. And the other thing about the show notes is that people just want to tell their stories. And so I think sometimes they would rather not argue with you because they would just like to wait the cameras here. I get to talk. And also I let them know, it's fine. We're going to talk. Just relax. They just want to tell their stories. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think that's the important thing that Tony's show is doing and other shows like that. It's just letting people, handing them the microphone and letting them tell their story and not making them feel like you're there for a soundbite. Yeah. Know? And that they'll have the space to do it. Yeah. Because that's the difference between what we do and what the news does is that the news is generally looking for the soundbite because they're going to edit it down to a three minute clip. And we're like, I mean, I feel like. Most of the conversations we had, we could play them unedited, and you would get a, you would it would even be better. But we just don't have the. There's not a avenue for. It. I feel like, to me, that's what I'm looking forward to is like the idea of connecting all these mediums. Like yeah. you should be able to watch the 45 minute TV show. You should be able to listen to an hour long conversation, the, the unedited conversation. You should you should be able to get like all the different. Pe- you should be able to just hear it on SoundCloud. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that's the thing. That's how, weren't the, we just talking about drawing your energy back and conserving <laughs> it for the? No, no. I will hire people to do the the editing work on that. I won't do that uh yeah. but you're gonna have three hour joe rogan style conversations yeah. i mean that, everybody hits the show that's what i like about rogan it's just like i mean he is the thing i like about rogan amongst several things is that he has figured out the things he does well and just does those things mm-hmm. and i'm still at the place of like like feeling like i need to hustle up the work in a different way comedians who figure out how to make their living in the business without doing things they don't want to do bravo <laughs> So I think that it can happen for me in a different way because I don't actually want his life. I don't. Right. I wouldn't be good at calling UFC events, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that guy hit that guy. He's hitting him again. Jesus, it's, he's hitting him. <laughs> but but I do think there is a version of my life that I'm that I'm sort of aiming for, where it feels like things sort of exist in their place in a way that is healthy. The thing that's good about being at CNN is that. I think we can sort of be here for a while because yeah. of the nature of CNN. It's not like we're on some network where it's like if you don't get the thing, then we bring somebody in behind you. It yeah. It'd be easier to just keep – I think it's easier to keep the train rolling along. Well, they damn well better keep the train <laughs> and it, it, But I'm, it does – I'm here throwing threats at Jeff Zucker. <laughs> but I also put pressure on myself to make it better every season, so it's not like I can sit back. And like I talked to Tony when we would be driving to the set hours after the crew had been there, which was great. He was like saying we're just trying to make every show different. At first, you're trying to make shows good. Right. And then at some point, you're like, well, we know how to do good. Oh, yeah. Can we make each show different? And we're still in the United States. We're still on the good place of like, we just want to make them good. You yeah. Know what I mean? And and pushing towards, edging towards different. But I think that like he, that's a that's a good place to get to. Oh, man. They were in a, they were in a mood. 
you know, yeah. in these last couple seasons. Yeah, like, yeah. They, I, and, and, you know, we got to see a lot of the stuff that they, you know, I, I, I didn't work on the show. I don't work with ZPZ. We got to see the early cuts come through and, yeah. like, and talk to Tony when he would come back from a place and be like, it's, you know, in this place we're talking about this film influence, yes. this yeah. reference, and this yeah. musician, and, and it yeah. just, like, the flow was just ridiculous. It's funny because we just shot in Jackson, Mississippi, and then I was this weekend there doing a marathon, and it was one that he had done in Mississippi. And it's so funny to me. I was like, oh, no, he probably did. Oh, no, he did nothing that we did. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like, and in the middle of it, there was a scene that they basically, like, just shot it the way that scene in Goodfellas where the guy goes into the bar, where Henry Hill goes in the bar and meets all the different yep. mobsters, and they just shot it like that. They didn't, he, I don't think he said the words Goodfellas. It just was like, if you know the movie, like, oh, they just did the Goodfellas thing. <laughs> like they that. just did it. And just for fun. They didn't have to do that. Right. And, and so for me, like, that's the place you want to get to where you're like, let's have some, let's have some fun. This motherfucker, so he was our investor, you know, in Roads and Kingdoms. A traditional human being would have said, like, how can we make money off of this money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a, it's a fairly standard American yeah, that's uh, how it works. Yeah, take. That's how we do. He, you know, he would just get, just load us with these aphorisms that were in the complete opposite direction. You know, he was like, just remember, never think about your audience when you're making something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, have you noticed, yeah. like, have you been around media in the last 10 years? It's like, it's all they do it's, is yeah. they want to slice and dice their audience and they're, they're like begging the, the internet, like, tell us what to make Tell us for what you. you want to do and we will put those things together. We will follow the algorithm. I mean, it's like, I think it's for me, and it just happens with United Shades every now and again. Somebody, and I love the the fact that CNN gave me the job, and I was, and, I, and it's a good working relationship. But sometimes when there's this sort of like, well, what if CNN? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, like, let's wait till we get the note. <laughs> let's let's wait till we and deal with it then. Let's not get right. into the position of even talking ourselves out of trying to do things. Yeah, to me, it's like that's not why I got into this. Yeah, and and. We can do that, Kamal, but what if, nope, 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 nope. But I think it's hard for people to think that way, and I think that because there's so much work where it, you have to think that way. Right, you could not you could not have that intention. And I just, like, give my wife credit in this, if this isn't working for me, I'll just move on. You know right. what I mean? Like, I just, and not that I'm excited about it, you know, but I'm just like, we will just have to figure out something else because I do come from this background of, like, the Bay Area, like, we'll just, you know, I'll just build a different barn, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do that, but I just feel like now more than ever because of Trump and the election, if this work isn't combating that narrative at all points and isn't trying to sort of create a more inclusive and also in an, a more inclusive world and showing that inclusive and entertaining can be one of the same, right. you know what I mean? Then somebody else, I'll do something else that does that. You know what I mean? So that's why it's always important for me to keep my feet in podcasting and, and keep doing stand-up because it all sort of helps, it all helps me sort of build the bigger picture of what I'm here to do, you know? All right, you're going to do a podcast next. That's my plan. I'm out of podcasting currently because I got so busy. I had two kids to add to the other kid I had. So I have three kids now. One is five <laughs> months old. Uh, the oldest is seven. And I so saw, I saw you rock that kid at the Emmys. Yeah, brother. <laughs> I, I was I was very impressed. So Kamal shows up with the baby Bjorn. Yeah, and it yeah. had a, you had like some stickers on there. It was yeah, like yeah, uh, it said families uh, families belong together. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was actually the technically it was the Moby. It wasn't the baby Bjorn. It was oh the shit! Moby. I'm, I'm out of the game, You're man. Game? My, yeah. my youngest is ten. I, yeah. I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't put, like marsupialed a yeah, child don't in, put a a in a long time. Ten year old in a Moby or a baby Bjorn. <laughs> so yeah, no, I had the the Moby Moby, uh, shout out to the Moby company. We'll take more. Kelly, my assistant, I don't know how we got it because this is, I just was like, we need a thing where I can put on it. And she's like, here it is. And it said families belong together. And I rocked the ACLU ribbon just to be like, because I just feel like 
I never imagined, that was my third Emmys, I never imagined going to the Emmys. That was not something on my dream journal of things I would accomplish in show business was go, winning an Emmy. So when we were nominated the first year, I was like, what? I didn't even know they could do that. I didn't yeah. know we were in a we were in a category thing. I, didn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking about awards. I was thinking about, like, I want to get a job and make work that I like. And so then to get to the third one, and especially with everything going on, it was like, it has to be about more than just going to the Emmys. Right. You know? We knew we had to take the baby to the Emmys with us anyway because she was only three months old at the time. So there was like there was no like not taking the baby. And so I said to my wife, like, what if? <laughs> <laughs> what if we just red carpet this yeah, baby? Yeah, we, we, ha- we have to take the baby to the red carpet anyway because the, the, the baby just nursing and all sorts of stuff. And we were there for a couple hours. What if? And my wife was like, oh. And so we talked through it because, you know, we also are in a position too where we don't want to put our kids in front of up front and center all the time. Either. Yeah. So I don't think you can, it, but you can't see the baby's face. Even when you can, it's just a baby. But that, yeah, that baby is not going to look like yeah, that baby's going to look no, like. that so. baby doesn't look like that now. So, <laughs> but it, to me, it just feel, and it feels, it sounds corny and he's saying it out loud, but it just feels like if there's anything I can do, if, there, if it's, that's super easy to do once yeah. the baby was sleeping, if there's anything you can do to sort of create some more daylight, especially when you have a place of privilege like mm. that, I, that I'm at, then you just have to figure out a way to do it. Because otherwise it just feels like missed opportunities and like, I love going to the Emmys, but it, I also know it's not real. <laughs> like it's, not, it's like you know, I, and I I like the trophies, and my kids love them. But I just have to feel like we that specifically with the work I do, it's got to be about something bigger. Yeah, and those just those little I don't know. I mean, you know, my wife's mom's from Mexico. I would not say that my wife dresses traditional Mexican mm-hmm. a lot. Yes, <laughs> we live in New York. We yeah. wear black. Yeah, she put on the most Mexican like had this like quilted yeah. thing from Oaxaca and it was yep. just like she's just one person yep. you know that nobody knows just like me mm-hmm. you know uh, on a red carpet but it's just like these little moments of just like we're here like we're here and we're, and also we're not and also I I am an individual right and I am, mm. and it's important for me to represent who I am as an individual especially when my individualness is being attacked right and so for me like it cause some kid some uh, some either a Mexican kid or a Latin American kid is going to see a picture of your wife somewhere and see that. And also two things. One, go, man, you can wear that at the Emmys. And two, go, oh, maybe I shouldn't be as ashamed of my traditional garb that the, that the white kids in my school think I should be. And so to me, it's just creating a little bit of daylight. It's just crazy. It's, it's just a little yep. bit. I'm way, in some sense, in a way different position than I ever imagined. And also, in a way, sort of like... The CNN of it makes it more relevant than I like, you know, sort of being in the midst of fake news. Right. You know what I mean? And be, being targeted because of that and having to deal with security concerns as we talked about because of that. So it's like, well, if I'm going to be here, I got to actually make this worthwhile in a way that feels like I'm not just like, thanks for the check, showbiz. Yeah. You know? Well, the bill is going to come due and it does in, <laughs> in a lot of ways. So yeah. making the most of it is a thing. Yeah. Because at some point it will just be like, as I say to my. My my again manager and agents. I'm not gonna be this cute forever. <laughs> like we need to get we need to get some other things going. <laughs> we need to, like, but in the process of even saying that, I'm like looking at people in my life who like wouldn't be looked at for TV shows and going, how can I help that? Yeah, same way Tony was doing. Like, yep. Who are the people in my life? Who are the artists that I know? I'm like, you're really good at this. How can we do more? And putting myself to be like Tony was doing, producing other people. I mean, this is this is a showbiz secret that I think I've learned from just like looking at different shows as they get made and how they get done and how television works. People are trying very hard to not have those people on television. Mm-hmm. The number of talented people who could represent who would not be white men, mm-hmm. frankly, who are out there. This is the same about hiring in media. Everybody's like, oh, there's not good candidates. And I was like, yeah. 
I think you don't know, but you're actually exerting a ton of effort to create an all-white pool yes. of candidates, you know? And yeah. it's, it's not the other way, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's actually the other way around. And I think we still have to fight our own battles as a culture and, like, figuring out if enough people even, I don't know, are going to stop fighting for the very plain truth that that's important. But it's out there to be done. Well, it is out there to be done. And I think, we, and I think that, you know, I always, the example I always go to is Issa Rae, Insecure, is mm. that that show only exists because she was like, well, I guess I'll go make my own show on YouTube. Right. I guess I'll just go make it myself because you're not going to hire me. Yeah. Showbiz. I'll go make my own show. And then eventually HBO goes, hey, could you do that over here so we could have some of that money? <laughs> you know what I mean? so, <laughs> and she gets to make the show she wants to make. Whereas if she had just, if she, even if she'd gotten that show before making her own show, she would have been come in as like an employee on her show, mm-hmm. and they, right? And they would have been probably a list of rules and a list of like, or they would have hired somebody who's like, "This person will show you how to do this." Oh man, that's the important part is that allowing people of color to skip the thing where they have to go make it themselves first, like just get and hope. I'm sure Issa Rae is now bringing people through the door, and I and that's important to me too. Is like we shouldn't all have to start making the web show to get to get the TV show. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, we can just we can just and I look at like Hassan Minaj as like a guy who is like. To sort of, I saw him start doing comedy. I right. saw what he was doing. I saw him get the, and suddenly he was on the Daily Show, and I was like, "Yes, exactly." And now on his own show, exactly. Right. But now, it shouldn't be like, for example, the other night they're like, "It's this is the first time in history that uh that Native American women have been elected to Congress." Two you know? of them. Two. Yeah, and you're like, that's horrifying. It's super dark, right? <laughs> Like that's the that makes me super sad, uh, <laughs> and yet you go okay. But when is the next one going to be elected? Uh-huh. I don't want to cast Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum if they end up losing. As well, they tried real hard. No, 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 no. Yep, we got to win. Yep. So I think that we can't get caught up in like that was a good shot. Yeah, you know? all right. Well, next let's go back to white guys. That's the thing I think is important is is not getting caught up in, like, if you lose one or if one gets through, that's enough. You have to be like, you have to kick the door open. You got to right. be like, you got to be like uh, every basketball player's entourage. You got to be like, <laughs> like LeBron James has hired everybody in Akron. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sort of like, that's how you have to do it. To bring the whole squad. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, man. As a as a white man, I'm I'm looking forward to the new fall lineup. Uh, <laughs> which, well, as a black man, I appreciate that. <laughs> we're gonna get there, dude. I'm very excited about my energy level right now. Yeah, I got to get to uh, Bernal Heights in San Francisco. I'm gonna think I'm gonna walk. <laughs> <laughs> For people listening, that's impossible. But uh... <laughs> I can't walk on the bridge. No, that's oh, not how shit. it goes. I mean, if you do, it'll be a news story. <laughs> See you on the news later. Right. But uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, Kamal. This has been a uh, pleasure to be with you. Yeah, a lot of fun. The Trip is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg, produced by Josie Holtzman and Danielle Roth of Future Projects. Our editor is Roads and Kingdoms, Taffy Mokanyadze. Our executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thanks, as always, to Adele Rodriguez for the art and Dan the Automator for the music. Next week, join me and journalist Michael Snyder for some real talk about a very unlovable fish living in the Bolivian Amazon. And yeah, these fish are kind of assholes. Um, they're also really ugly. <laughs> Which isn't their fault. Do we I have don't... any more insults we can heap on these <laughs> I don't want to... Yeah, they sound like pigs when they come up to breed. We'll meet you there. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. 
and we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.